are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. Last month, an artist died. Carl Andre, an American sculptor who was controversial both for his art, the Tate, one of Britain's foremost public galleries, being criticised for spending public money on his pile of bricks work, and also controversial for his private life, having been tried and acquitted for the murder of his wife, Anna Mendieta. We covered the podcast Death of an Artist in episode 137 and this will be added at the end of this episode so you can re-listen. In the podcast, Helen Molesworth resurrects the story of Anna and how her death split the art world with many in the burgeoning feminist artistic movement believing Andre was responsible for his wife's death while the establishment backed Andre. Artists and poets are often at the forefront of societal change, and we can see the effects of the scandal as similar to those today when a powerful man with a public reputation is accused of gender-based crimes. Nowadays, it's a much bigger show with memes, TikToks, podcasts, and everybody choosing a side and battling it out online. While the Andre scandal may have played out more quietly in the art galleries, dinner parties and coffee houses of New York, the reaction of those who chose to pay attention was very much the same as reactions now, just less loud and showy. So what does Andre's death mean for this case? Well, essentially, the case was over when Andre was found not guilty in his judge-only trial, although the suspicions around Andre never went away. Those who may have hoped for a deathbed confession will be disappointed as Andre suffered from dementia in his last years. It seems unlikely that any new evidence will be revealed, so what really is left for us to contemplate? The thing that is perhaps most important to any artist, legacy. While suspicion surrounded Andre for the rest of his life, it is not necessarily going to hang around his reputation now. Plenty of people Artists, musicians and writers have been bathed in scandal only for their work to take precedent after their death. The fact that Andre was considered a pioneer of minimalism means he will probably always have a place in art history books, which will be unlikely to touch on his personal life. His work, though, lacks popular resonance, so I feel it's unlikely to grace silk scarves, umbrellas and notebooks like Van Gogh, Monet or Grayson Perry. Andre is rather an artist's artist, or more accurately, a sculptor's sculptor, meaning it's more likely he will be known by those who take an interest in art 
but not outside those circles. What will be the fate of Anna Mendieta's legacy? She still has women in the art world out there championing her cause. And given the art world is not oversaturated with well-known women, there is space for her to jostle to the front alongside Frida Kahlo, Tracy Emin and Hilma of Clint. I can see her sculptures of the female silhouette being turned into earrings and pendants, her photocopied faces being used as inspiration for the cover of Vogue. What's more, Mendieta also used crime as a jumping-off point for her work. Inspiration doesn't feel like the right word here. Given this and her celebration of the feminine and the earth, she could find in the true crime and witch communities, a Venn diagram of which is both intersecting with feminism, a whole new audience. Add to this that Mendieta was a woman of colour and a refugee, and she has the ability to speak to a much wider group of people than much of the art world does, drawing more people into the fold of realising what art is able to say when artists are diverse. It feels fitting that Mendieta's legacy could grow out of her death. Creation and violence have always been linked together. The great Indian goddess Kali is commonly known as a goddess of destruction, but it is less commonly known, in the West at least, that she is also a goddess of creation, because after destruction there is space for the new to arrive. Having gone through a few Kali seasons of my own, I can attest to how much better things are after her storm has ravaged your world. We see it on a macro and a micro level, from the big bang to a child pushing its way out the womb, to that dandelion or facial hair you keep on plucking but just grows back anyway. In the reports around the argument that Mendieta and Andre were having before she fell to her death from their balcony, Andre says that it was about who was more exposed to the public, the implication being that she realised it was not her, and rather than face the truth that her husband was more exposed, and for exposed read, well-known or regarded, she jumped to her death. This seems a strange reason to complete suicide, although it has to be said that each suicide has many and complex reasons behind it. However, given Andre is the only witness to the argument that preceded Mendieta's death, I have a theory. I have noticed that often in life when we judge other people, we are really only judging ourselves. I do it all the time. Complain to others or in my own head about someone's behaviour, only to realise a few days later that this is something I have also done or still do. This is not to say that all poor behaviour in others is a figment of our imagination, but I have learned over time that when our complaints are accompanied with a certain scathing energy that really we might be seeing something of ourselves which makes us uncomfortable or that we don't like. 
trying wholly to position it as someone else's problem so we don't have to face the discomfort of our own. Andre says Mendieta was upset he was more exposed, but I suggest that perhaps it was the other way round. He would not be the first man to find their wife's success difficult. It has literally broken up marriages. For myself, when my daughter was a toddler, I suggested to my husband that when she was old enough to go to school, I could study for an MA in creative writing. His response was to laugh in my face at the thought. He didn't have a bachelor's degree, but his family had always placed an importance on academic thinking and success. While it was not the primary reason for our subsequent divorce, the factor of needing to be superior and the constant battle and one-upmanship that created was a major factor in the failing of that marriage. Am I projecting my faults of my own marriage onto that of Andres and Mendieta's? Maybe. Maybe not. Our culture has traditionally given men such narrow paths to tread. Be the provider, be the head of the household. But for those unable to think outside of those stereotypes, to find the scale tipping the other way can feel like an assault on their very self. This is not an uncommon story. In fact, it is the one that often underlies domestic violence and family annihilations. Mendieta has reported to friends that she was scared of Andre's temper. Could that temper have been ignited by the fact her star was rising in the art world? I think it's likely, but ultimately now, we will never know. Creative energy, whether it's conducted into the world by writing, singing, physical movement or photography, is the same energy as life. To create is to live fully, and the beauty of this for Mendieta's supporters, friends and fans is that there is a chance that although they feel there was no justice in response to her death, perhaps it will bring people to her art who would not have seen it otherwise. And in that way, Mendieta has never really died. And now, time for you to hear the original episode. Once upon a time, there was a young girl from Cuba who emigrated to the United States. She studied art at a college under a great teacher, moved to New York, married a well-respected artist, died and became a success. The idea that artists have to die before they can become successful was mainly popularised by Vincent van Gogh, who sold only one painting before his death to his brother Theo, an art dealer. However, it does not have to be the case. Anna Mendieta's star was beginning to rise before she died. Much of Anna's work, which ranged from sculpture to film to performance art, centred on the body, especially the female body. Her work uncovering people's attitudes to crime and how it affects us would be extremely popular today. She was inspired by the rape and murder of a fellow student on campus when she was studying at Iowa University. 
the female body, its silhouette, the violence that can be done to it, and how it relates to nature thrums through her work. It is work that 50 years on is still relevant, energetic and focused on core themes of women's exploration of themselves and art. Is it a coincidence that Anna's death is in some way an extension of her art? On the 8th of September 1985, she fell from her 34th floor apartment, which she shared with her husband of eight months, Carl Andre. She hit the roof of a deli below and died. The controversy around her death arrives because of the age-old question, did she jump or was she pushed? Andre, when phoning the emergency services, said that Anna had jumped because they were having an argument about who was more exposed to the public. This does feel like an unusual reason to attempt suicide. His story about Anna's death then changes. He immediately follows her into the bedroom and she jumped. He was in another room when she jumped and only noticed later. This, however, is not all that doesn't add up. Anna was notoriously afraid of heights, so friends claim it's unlikely she would climb out onto a balcony so high up. Earlier that evening, she'd been having a phone conversation in the bedroom with Andre in the adjoining living room with a friend about how she was gathering evidence of his cheating and was planning a divorce. A neighbour heard her scream, no. The next day, Andre had scratches on his face. Her death and people's reaction to it split the New York art world. Andre was an already established artist when he and Anna married. He is a sculptor and a pioneer of the minimalist movement. His work answers the question, what is sculpture's relationship to the floor? As much as I enjoy art, it has to be admitted that this was an important question only within the art world, and no one outside of the art world was losing any sleep over it, let alone building a whole career. When comparing Andre's work to Anna's online, which isn't always the best way to experience art that's meant to be seen in three dimensions, there is a coldness about it, bloodless, a flatness and rigidity. When comparing it to Anna's work, which is juicy and life-affirming, unashamedly embracing a range of emotions, looking at the difference in their tone and style and message, it is easy to see why a match between these two personalities was probably always going to be rocky. Andre was tried in 1988 and elected to have a judge-only trial with no jury and was acquitted of all charges. The split the death of Anna caused in the art world came at a time when feminism was beginning to emerge as a creative movement. Of course, women had always been creating art in various forms, but often their art had been overlooked, or the way in which they created art, especially if it involved textiles, was dismissed. For the newly emerging movement of young women who were beginning to find a voice, Anna's death was a shock. If someone who had been so outspoken and pioneering could succumb to domestic violence and their husband could, in their minds, get away with it, 
Then they felt that no one was safe and they intensified their voices when it came to Andre continuing to exhibit, often staging protests outside of exhibitions. On the other side, there were Andre's supporters, those who did not believe that he had killed his wife and saw his acquittal as an exoneration as opposed to a symptom of structural problems in dealing with domestic violence and the murder of women by intimate partners. They soon started to put around the idea that there was a feminist cabal out to get Andre. This is a well-worn trope of patriarchy, that women are somehow banding together to bring down innocent men. It's an offshoot of the now much more popular witch hunt. The term witch hunt refers back to historical moral panics that can be found in many societies, where women were persecuted for supposed black magic practice or consorting with devil. As a term to mean political persecution, it was coined by George Orwell and used widely in America when Senator Joe McCarthy became obsessive about rooting out communists and those with the socialist bent from positions of power or influence in American society. A period of political upheaval and paranoia, which was captured in Arthur Miller's 1953 play The Crucible, which coming delightfully full circle was set in Salem, Massachusetts, during a moral panic centred around witchcraft, which is a thinly veiled way to settle old scores and enmities in the Puritan colony. It has been said before, but it bears repeating that a witch hunt is not the same as women making a complaint about a man's behaviour and asking that he be called to account and change. In recent years, the term has changed, meaning it has become less a way of identifying persecution and more a patriarchal dog whistle. It also serves to admonish women from supporting each other or backing each other up, knowing that when women unite, they become more powerful. In fact, any time a group of oppressed people unite, they become much more powerful, and even more so if groups of differently oppressed people unite. It's why those in power who have so much to lose do not like it when people organise. If anyone does not want you to organise, then it's worth questioning their motives. The fabled witch hunt, or as it was called in the New York art world, feminist cabal, is a tacit admonishment from apologists for sexism, sexual violence and domestic murder towards women for organising, meant to shame them into isolation and keeping quiet. Although even in groups, it can still be difficult for women to get the accountability and change they desire if the man is powerful or protected enough. In keeping women who have dealt with poor, problematic or criminal behaviour from a man apart, it becomes easier to blame the victim. It was to do with what she was wearing. She'd had a drink. She said she liked sex, which, while these have never been part of consent, have been the go-to for people who are confused by it. And for anybody who wants, I've added the consent and tea video at the bottom of the text for a little explainer. Given, however, that most people who abuse others are extremely careful to only do so when there are no witnesses, it is often only by demonstrating a pattern of behaviour that those who have been abused can find any recourse. 
The so-called feminist cabal of the New York art scene wished to keep Anna's memory and her work alive, rather than her becoming a footnote in Carl Andre's biography. Similar happened in the UK when poet Sylvia Plath died, although to be clear, there is no suspicion that her husband, Ted Hughes, a former poet laureate, was the instigator of her death. Some do blame his infidelity for Plath's perilously fragile mental state. Fans of Plath's work reacted angrily when Hughes edited it, or in some cases burnt it, and her grave in Heptonstall was defaced repeatedly because it carried her married name, Hughes. Anna's work is having something of a resurgence. However, to listen to the host of Death of an Artist, Helen Molesworth, herself a curator and figure in the art world, it is difficult to access art world success as a woman or a person of colour. As others have previously done in podcasts such as Thunder Bay, Molesworth uses the popularity of the true crime format to spread the conversation about diversity further. It may appear strange to outsiders who are used to seeing artists and creative people as the rebels, the renegades who like to cock a snook at the establishment. So often it is those who pay the piper, though, who get to call the tune, and the paymasters are still enthralled to the values of other centuries. In resurrecting Anna and using a new format to spread her story outside of a world that is closed off to so many of us, Molesworth essentially is able to give her work a different life and give those who still struggle for acceptance because of their identity rather than a lack of talent a figure to coalesce around. Anna's death took the possibility of any new work and her maturation as a vital force in the art world away, not just from the art world, but from the public itself. It is so often difficult to find the means or words to express ourselves, but artwork, dance, music are all ways where we can find a kinship, a recognition with others that have experienced the same thing. And maybe also find it difficult to articulate. Anna was articulating for all women, and the fact that was cut short is a tragedy. So it feels like this podcast, which has so much potential to catalyze a new generation of Mendieta fans who can feel a connection with what it is Mendieta is saying to us more than anything, is a fitting memorial to a woman who never wanted to do anything quietly. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.